This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We were beyond pleased to be invited to the Ontario Disability Employment Network's Rethinking Disability Conference that's taking place in the Toronto area this week. It continues today, in fact. But we had Alex Smythe on the ground there earlier in the week, and Alex brought back a whole whack of interviews to share with us. So, Alex, which interview did you want to share in this segment? Yeah, so in this one, I'm actually speaking to a rep from Odin itself, Dr. Jennifer Croson, who was at the conference leading a a talk, and so she had a lot to share in terms of research and information. So I wanted to find out what people can expect from her talk and information they should know. Dr. Croson, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us a bit about your session today and, and what was the topic? Sure. So my session was around employment as a goal, engaging with families, Um, and where it, you know, what informed the session, I guess you could say, is the research that I've been doing with the Ontario Disability Employment Network on on the youth success strategy. And so why do you want to include families in terms of setting employment as a goal? Why is that a key and a focus for your session? It's a really good question. And part of what I talked about in that session is about how, you know, we have to start early. And that and that early starts at home, right? So it starts not just with the attitudes that parents, caregivers have in terms of what their child's future might look like, um, but also about what they're going to encourage their child to do at home. So I'm talking chores, I'm talking all these things that we talk about and we know, but sometimes children with disabilities, particularly those with developmental disabilities, which is what my research focused on, they get left out of those conversations um, and left out of those expectations and what I'm saying is that we need to change that. We need to change that way of thinking. And so building those routines, those skills at home at a younger age yeah. can be key for, for uh, employment later? Absolutely. That's 100% what was one of the messages of my session. The other thing that I really talked about was this, how um, families, and I speak to this as a parent of a child with a disability, you know, that we are told really early on that your child will probably not achieve You know, we're not told to have high expectations for our children who have disabilities. And so one of the messages that I give in that workshop is we need to rethink that narrative. We need to try and encourage parents to see the ability in their child, you know, versus versus what they can't do. And I just want to, I hope that I am not making it sound like that's just what parents think. Parents are, are, are told, you know, by people who think they know what they're talking about when it you know to raise a child with a disability that your child will not do this your child will not do that so what of course your reaction is going to be as a parent right so we're trying to challenge that way of thinking in our session do you feel like the messaging or or the uh, philosophy is changing at all of around uh you know trying to get those with the disabilities into the workforce that you're talking about, like this is some of the messaging that you've received and other parents have received. Has it changed at all in the past 10, 15, 20 years? 
Yes, I think it has changed, but I think it's changed because of conferences like this, because of conversations that are happening here. But that dominant narrative that surrounds the lives of people with disabilities still needs to shift, right? And that dominant narrative is really informing how parents are told about their child and how they're told to think about their child's future, how the education system is, is you know, embedded in the education system. It doesn't allow for our young people with developmental disabilities to have the same experiences as their, as their peers, and that connects to employment. Right? Is there a specific area that you would say, okay, this is where the most work needs to be done? Is it education, it's somewhere else? Oh, it's everywhere, but, you know, it's everywhere. But in, in, in education in particular, so one of the things I talk about in my workshop is, for example, we expect all high school students in Ontario to complete 40 hours of volunteer service in order to get their, their high school diploma. We don't expect that of young people with developmental disabilities because we don't expect them to get their high school diploma. No. We need to rethink that because we know from volunteer experience you get you learn communication skills, you learn responsibility, you learn community involvement. So we need our young people all to have that experience. We know that young people with developmental disabilities are not given the same access to co-op and to paid summer jobs and those, those things that you probably had when you were a young person, right? And it's helped you get a job as an adult. Young people with developmental disabilities need the same. What does the conference offer up in terms of a benefit to have all these different organizations, all these different groups in one place at the same time. Now, obviously, this is also the first time that mm -hmm. we've been able to gather in, the, in a few years. Yeah. But, so what does it mean to have all these different voices and all these different activists here together? Well, we're all, we're, you know, everybody here, I think, really believes that people with disabilities deserve a place in employment, right? So there's, there's, we are all on the same page, but we are here to, to network and to share ideas. So certainly in my session this morning, I heard from people who were like, yes, we agree with what you're saying, Jennifer. Here's some things that we've done in our community to think about what you are saying. So there's that kind of networking ability. There's a kind of inspiring, you know, we're inspiring each other to go back to our communities and to spread the messages that we're creating here at this at this conference. Now, the information and the strategies that you, you've been talking about, this isn't just based on anecdotal. There's also research and, and yes. evidence behind it. Can you talk a bit about that research? Yeah. So last year, so in 2021, I did a piece of research for Odin, um, and we call it the Youth Success Strategy. So what I did, what, my, what I was interested in is what is it about programs that support young people who have barriers to employment. So disability could be one of those, but we know there are inter intersectional you know, barriers that, that people face to employment. Um, what was it about their programs that were successful? And what was it about their programs that were more challenging? And what were, what were they identifying? So I spoke with employment service providers in Ontario, in Manitoba, Quebec, and in um, Ireland, actually, which was kind of fun. I didn't actually get to go to Ireland. Okay. Um, it was on Zoom. But anyways, <laughs> um, so what did I find? I found that attitudes really had an impact, you know? So what, what they were saying is they may get a 17, 18, 19-year-old young person with a developmental disability coming to their program, but that young person wasn't coming with the same skill set as their peers. So for example, they didn't have soft employment skills. Yeah. So communication, you know, kind of knowing how to dress to come into to, to work, transportation. They didn't have those things that you would get 
if you'd had somebody who had the expectations that you would do these things, if you'd had experiences in school. They weren't coming with the same literacy skills. Literacy is something that is, is challenging for, for, for everybody, and literacy looks different for everybody. But what I was saying in my research is that we need to find different ways of allowing people to access the literacy that is for them. Right? We can't just write off and say, well, sorry, you have a developmental disability. You can't read. Well, we think that. So thinking outside of the box, lots of different things. Now, this may be a bit of a, a loaded question, but do you, do you see the future as, as bright for kind of changing the, the narrative, the perspectives, and, and building a more inclusive environment where people with disabilities can get the same level of education, resources, and employment. Yes, because I'm an optimist, right? But I think it's gonna, it's gonna take hard work, and it's gonna take a community effort, and it's gonna take a village, right? So it's going to mean we need to think differently about how we talk to parents when they first learn their child is gonna have a disability. It starts there. Then when they go to elementary school, are we making sure that that elementary school is fully inclusive? Then when they go to secondary school, are we making sure that they are being invited to you know, participate in the academic curriculum and not asked to sit over in the corner, right? Then when they leave school, are they going to have the same opportunities to have summer jobs? You know, so are we then gonna have employers who are going to recognize the benefit of having being an inclusive hirer. So there's so many elements to this future yeah. that I know is being created by the people who are at this conference. You know, but I'm optimistic. You know, certainly by, I have a son who has a developmental disability, and certainly by the time he's an adult, I'm optimistic that he will have a job and he will live independently. That's, that's awesome, and that's great to hear. Now, for other parents at home who who may be in a similar situation, mm -hmm. where can they go to try to find more information or, or maybe access some resources? So they can they can get in touch with Odin because we you know we have this we have this research you know which gets shared. Now we don't typically hear from parents to be fair, um, but the the, the um, research that I did we did create into webinars, and over the course of the last you know year we delivered that we that webinar to school boards. Um, to we did one a session for the Canadian Down Syndrome Society. We did a session for CanChild. So we are trying to push this message out there so that it can have a wider audience, right? Because it's not, it's parents and caregivers, but it's also educators. It's also employment service providers. We want everybody to carry the same message. That's awesome. Dr. Jennifer Croson, thank you so much for taking time, chat with me a bit about this. It's such an important issue, so I'm glad we could chat about it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me and, and allowing me to have this conversation with you. Alex, I'm picking up on a theme here with the last couple of interviews that we've shared, both with Project Search yesterday and this interview with Dr. Crossan. It's interesting that so oftentimes we're talking about transition and building blocks, giving people experiences as a way in, as a foot into the labor market, that people forget that oftentimes volunteer work, internships, small interpersonal connections end up making a really big deal in your career. So it's interesting that two interviews in a row now, that's really been the thoughtful consideration that so many researchers and advocates are working on saying, we need to make sure we're giving people a foot in the door. Absolutely. And, and the other takeaway is too, is at that age, when you are in the education stream, 
you're in a a state where there's a lot of structure. There's there's a daily routine. There's daily progress. There's uh, skills that are being learned in the school environment, but it's also a time where you learn those skills by, as you mentioned, volunteering, as starting to get your first employment opportunities. And and so targeting that age range and, the, and that time is really key because that can be where a lot of impact can be made. And and so if you if you don't invest when uh, people are at that age, it, it can really be a detriment when you're trying to get into uh, the more established mm-hmm. workforce later on. And the fact is, if you're putting people three or four years behind their peers, if they're not getting those entry-level opportunities or volunteer opportunities till they're in post-secondary or when they're out of secondary school and their colleagues now have two or three years' experience ahead of them, it makes it even more difficult to start establishing and making that case to where you belong in the workforce and even finding out what you like, right? What you like to do, uh, the kind of jobs you do when you're 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, end up framing what you think you might do for the rest of your life. At least you know what you don't want to do when you're doing those kinds of jobs. Alex, uh, we heard the researcher mention it, but uh, hit us again with where people can go to learn more about Odin's research. And I'll tell you, this this website's tough, so careful with the acronym. Yeah, so it is odinnetwork.com. Now, the thing is, it is spelled O-D-E-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.com. So only one N for Odin Network. Yeah, I was struggling with that one on Monday when I said goodbye to you to tell people where to go with more. I said Odin. OdinNetwork.com or OdinAtwork.com, which can get pretty confusing. But uh, yeah, if someone just types into the Google machine, which is always a great way to do things, Ontario Disability Employment Network, that's a great suggestion. You know, sometimes why worry about specific addresses when you can just go to your Google machine? Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.